Good morning. How y'all doing? Come on, you can do a little bit better than that. I'm not going to say anything about the weather because Jesse covered that very nicely today. But uh, it is great to be here. So excited uh, that you decided to join us uh, today to celebrate together. And, you know, I, in some respects, I feel a little bit like my presence up here is a little anticlimactic because I'm, you know, all this talk about the new guy that I'm excited about as well. But you kind of want to hear from him, don't you? Come back next week and you will, all right? Uh, truth is, uh, John, I couldn't be more excited than to, uh, today to have you here. And, uh, you know, we, for quite some time, have felt a growing need for a full-time community pastor here at Lincoln Park. You might not know this, but uh, the staff here is part-time, myself included. And so we've been searching uh, for just the right person, and we found John. And um, just really excited that uh, after an extensive search, he's going to begin uh, today, actually, as our new community pastor here. Uh, he arrived about 48 hours ago from Belfast, Ireland. So if he's a little bit, like, jet-lagged, please have grace on him today. Uh, he's here for this month. His family, uh, his wife Jenna, their two children, Hazel and Hayden, will join him uh, in May. So you'll get to know them as well. Uh, stick around after the service, though, today and, and, and warmly uh, welcome him, if you would. And then join us on the first Sunday in May. And uh, the best part of the Prime family will be here at that point. I think John would agree with me in that. But um, you're going to hear from him briefly at the end of our, our service today where he'll get to greet you. But uh, you'll be to get to talk to him a little bit, bit more uh, following the service. So let's just welcome John again. Cool to have you. Definitely. Uh, to get us kind of started, though, this morning, you know, I asked our staff, uh, the staff that we had prior to John's arrival, okay? I didn't, didn't ask John to do this. I asked our staff here at Community to share some awkward photos from their childhood, okay? Uh, two of us cooperated. The other one, whose name sounds a lot like Tizzy, I won't mention anybody's particular names, Lizzie Cho, um, apparently um, she could only find adorable photos like this one of her. Um, you know, it, yeah, and I don't know how you guys feel about the Michigan State Sure, I, I expected to get that from somebody. Okay, we got some thumbs down, some thumbs up. I know we got some Michigan State grads here. Okay, but uh, the truth is apparently uh, Lizzie had no awkward phases like the rest of us. She just was always adorable. What do you say about that? Now, Jesse, uh, who was up on stage earlier, seemed to be more in the spirit of what I was talking about. He sent me this photo. <laughs> nice mullet. That's all I can say. Now, now, for me, it was super easy. Just find any photo of me between the ages of 10 and 18, and they will make all of us feel just a little bit uncomfortable. Here I am. Mm-hmm. That, that almost felt like pity. Like, that laugh was like one of those, ooh, ooh. Rocking the turtleneck and the sleeveless. Right on. Yeah, I look like some sort of junior psychotherapist or something. Like, all I need is like a pipe and a lazy boy, I think, or something. But any, anybody, anybody else look back at pictures from your childhood or teen years and go, why did my parents let me out looking that way? Okay, so, I, all right, so like I'm not the only one, okay. I mean, I've looked at many photos and thought, you know, that haircut, those clothes, I can't believe somebody didn't stop me. Um, but today, this is all a point, okay, I have a reason for bringing this up. Uh, today we continue our series, Created for Community, and we're talking about the importance of small groups, and I think pictures like this remind us why we all need close friends who will tell us the truth and keep us from going out in public like this. You can take that picture off, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we're in week two of this series called Created for Community, and we're talking about the importance, I think, of pushing back, pushing back on our tendency to do life alone. Because there are things that happen in community, in a, in a group of intentional Christ-following friends that just don't happen anywhere else. Uh, last week, we called it one-anothering. Say that after me, okay? One-anothering. One 
That's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? And these are phrases that describe what happens in this intentional community that God so longs for us to experience. It's where we accept one another. It's where we serve one another. We forgive one another. We pray, encourage, love one another. We actually find that one another phrase 59 times in the New Testament. 59 times. And those phrases describe the kind of remarkable relationships that God so longs for us to experience in a community of people that around here we call a small group. But I also get it. There are plenty of things holding us back, right, from connecting in a small group. Um, you know, busyness is an obstacle, right? Anybody here would say they're not busy? Almost everybody says, yeah, they're busy. You know, we cram our schedules with so many things that even the thought of adding something that, you know, demands a regular rhythm or a weekly commitment seems next to impossible. Uh, a fear is an obstacle, I think. I mean, let's be honest. Doesn't it feel safer in some ways to just kind of like keep to ourselves? I mean, don't you sometimes wonder, well, what will they think if they get to know the real me? And so what do we do? We often tend to choose the path of least resistance. Play it safe. Keep it to ourselves. And then I think tiredness. Tiredness is an obstacle. And I get it. You know, my group meets on Wednesday nights. We gather on Wednesday nights. And I, and I love that we gather in the middle of the week. I need that kind of like that extra push, that encouragement right there in the middle of the week. But there have been more than a few Wednesdays where I was tempted to kind of call in sick because even though it was only Wednesday, I felt like I'd already had a full week. Anybody else feel that way? And so with all these obstacles, like it's easy for us to remain disconnected or, or, or maybe settle for surface relationships. And then we find ourselves all alone on the couch, once again, binge watching the great British baking show, right? Or maybe we vicariously live through some sort of like pretend community that we see on TV, or we might go out with friends and acquaintances, right? And we have a good time, nothing wrong with that, but if we're honest, we know those probably aren't the friends that are going to necessarily challenge us to become all that God created us to be. And so we settle. We settle. We, we all are tempted to settle. But when we settle, we're the ones missing out because we are created for community. We, we desperately need community. Um, I kind of like the way best-selling author Rick Warren put it. He said this. He said, small groups are not a ministry of the church. Small groups are not a program of the church. Small groups are not an outreach of the church. Small groups are not an event of the church. Small groups are actually the church. And, you know, connecting like that in small groups is not something new. It's not something we just made up here in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. In fact, if we go back thousands of years, you can read something written by a wise king named Solomon that stresses the importance of these kinds of relationships. Uh, Solomon became king after his father, King David, died. And as he's starting his reign, God gave him the opportunity to ask for one thing, anything. God gave him the opportunity to ask for anything. You can have anything you want, God says. And God said he would give it to him. I mean, what, what a cool thing, right? I mean, you're, you're just starting out. You're following in the footsteps of your, you know, legendary father. You're, you're new to this role, which has massive responsibilities. And God gives you the chance to ask for anything. Kind of made me think, what would I ask for? You know, maybe I would ask for, I don't know, a strong economy. Or maybe I would, you know, I would ask for protection from my enemies. Or I would probably actually ask for a really nice castle with an Olympic-sized pool and maybe a you know, professional-sized basketball court. I don't know, something like that. But Solomon doesn't ask for any of that. You know what he asks for? He asks for, you probably know, he asks for wisdom. Wisdom. 
I mean, anything, anything in the world could have been his. And Solomon asks for wisdom. And God is so pleased by his request that he gives Solomon what he asks for. And he becomes known as the wisest person who ever walked the planet. People all over the world travel to consult with him, seek out his advice and wisdom. Now, the good news for us is that much of Solomon's wisdom is recorded in Scripture. And in one particular book, it's called Ecclesiastes. I know that sounds more like a virus than a book, but it's a book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. But in this book, Solomon talks about the importance of living in close and intentional community. And in one place, he talks about it like this. He says, two people are better off than one. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Somebody who falls alone is in real trouble. That kind of jumped out at me when I saw that. Because I've read this many times. But think about that. Someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Ever see someone fall alone? Have you ever seen somebody fall alone? I don't know. Maybe it was a financial fall, the loss of a job, or maybe a major unexpected expense. And in no time, I mean, their security was gone. And they wondered where they could go for help. Ever see someone fall alone? Or it might have been a relational fall you saw someone um, experience. I mean, others saw it coming too, but somehow they didn't see it, or maybe they just ignored it, hoped it would go away. And because they placed all their relational bets on that one person, they were left alone. Ever see someone fall alone? I don't know, maybe it was a physical fall. The test results were way worse than expected. The diagnosis was devastating and suddenly a person's future was in doubt and they had nowhere to turn for real support to try to get through what they were going through. Ever see someone fall alone? Uh, honestly, I, I mean, I, see, I feel like I see this happen quite a bit. Uh, just this past week, I got a text from someone I hadn't heard from in months and in this situation, he's running away from a difficult marriage. He and his new wife are separated. They have a little boy who will likely feel the brunt of this way more than he or his wife, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I'll, I'm going to do whatever I can to help, absolutely, but the real tragedy is that I don't think this person really is surrounded right now with people who love him enough to really speak the truth to him. I got another call from somebody I hadn't seen in months, and she too is in crisis, stranded in another part of the world, estranged from family, with nobody to turn to. And again, I can't help but think, man, if only, if only she had a caring community, a small group of people who could rally around her right now. I mean, we, we spend, folks, we spend so much time, don't we, building our individual lives, working hard to get, hard to get ahead, and we often just kind of like come home exhausted and give in to the temptation to just kind of be alone or, or settle for just shallow relationships, don't we? But the problem with that is, you see, when we fall, and it's not if, all of us are going to fall at some point, or have, right? It's not if. When we fall, if we do that, then we'll fall alone. We'll fall alone. And, you know, when I, when I get a call or a text from somebody like that, oftentimes my first thought is, oh, um, I wonder if they're in a small group. And I start thinking. But then I realize they're probably not because they wouldn't be calling me first if they were. Truth is. And don't get me wrong, I, you know, I want to help. I'll do the best I can to help. Love it when I can help. 
but I cannot give that person what a close-knit group of Christ-following friends can give that person. I just can't. And I know John, our new community pastor, tell you the same thing. Man, small group is the best place to be because you don't want to fall alone. So, so let me just ask you, and I want you to just respond in your mind. Don't let this question just kind of go in one ear and out the other. Honestly, do you, you have someone you can call if you're in trouble at, say, 2 in the morning and you're about to fall? Do you, have, do you have a few people that you could call? If it's 2 in the morning, you're in trouble. May, maybe you just had a relationship just blow up. Or maybe you're in a tough spot and you just need some advice, some wisdom from somebody you know will not tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Do you, do you got somebody that you can call? Do you have a, a group of friends that you know you can count on? Uh, according to the American Sociological Review, the answer for many of us is no. One in four people say they don't have one close friend they can talk to. One out of four people, just look around the room, one-fourth of us would have to admit, no, I don't have one close person I can talk to. Another 20% said they have one. So if my math is somewhat correct, I think that means half of us here have one person or nobody that we actually believe we can count on. I mean, that's devastating, isn't it? Think about that. And I'm not saying it's easy, but... And then let me just say, too, you know, being a part of what happens here on Sundays is great. I love when we get to gather and celebrate and be an encouragement to one another and kind of recognize, okay, I'm not the only one on this journey of following Jesus. It's great to be here. We need to be here. But if this is where it stops with you, it's not enough. It's not enough. You're missing out. Because your small group, you see your small group will be there when you fall. And we need that. All right, small groups are not only there for us when we fall, uh, they can also prevent us from the fall in the first place. All right? They can also prevent us from the fall in the first place. Uh, if we go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon writes this. He says, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, in other words on your own, you're probably not going to be strong enough but you see, when you're in a, a group, you can prevent a lot of bad stuff from happening. A small group can keep you from being overpowered and broken down. And a small group are people that have your back, people who will stand with you, people who will look out for you. Yeah, small groups are preventative. What do they prevent? Well, for one thing, I think small groups prevent blind spots. Small groups prevent blind spots. Uh, now, blind spots are troubling by definition because they're obviously something you didn't see coming, right? Uh, I have a bit of a confession to make. I am not known as the safest driver in the world, okay? Uh, people who've driven with me will tell you that my blind spots are much bigger than most people's, like the entire road, okay? Uh, and for the longest time, I was in denial about how just awful of a driver I am until my family finally had like a, an intervention, uh, sat me down, looked me in the eye and said, yes, we are actually scared when we are in the car with you. Since I know the first step in recovery is to admit you have a problem, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm admitting to you that I have a problem that I'm working on, and I admit that my blind spots are much bigger than anybody else's. But let me just ask you, okay, because I doubt that everybody here is innocent, that's, that's what you do too when you have a problem, right? You try to 
make it everybody else's problem. Uh, have you ever caused an accident or nearly caused an accident because you changed lanes and didn't realize there was a car in the lane next to you? Anybody? Come on, show of hands. Let's do this. Almost all of us have done that at one time or another, right? They were in your blind spot, right? You didn't see them. But here's the thing, okay? The car's driving a few feet behind you. They saw it coming the whole time, right? And when you turned your signal on and you started to kind of go into that lane, they were probably slamming on the horn as loud as they could and yelling at the top of their lungs, but you probably had the music on too loud, so you didn't see them or hear them, right? They were trying to warn you of the danger. But see, that's, that's what a small group can do for you. That's what a group of Christ-following friends in community can actually do for you. And we've, we've all been there, okay? We've all seen this happen, right? Um, a friend is in a relationship that is an absolute wreck. We've seen this, right? You've seen a friend that's in a relationship that's an absolute wreck. It was a blind spot. You saw what was happening. Others saw what was happening, but nobody's close enough to that person to speak the truth, right? Um, you've likely had someone you care about who was about to collide, collide with disaster because of a pattern of behavior in their life or something that might have even seemed like it was an addiction, so many could see what was about to happen, but nobody felt close enough to speak the truth and love to that person. We've seen that happen over and over again, haven't we? Maybe it's happened to you. It probably has. You've probably had times in your life when you so wish you would have had a community of people who would have warned you about what was about to happen, but they just weren't there. You didn't make yourself accessible, right? See, we've all seen trouble coming in people's lives, blind spots, long before they did. You've seen it coming in their life. They've seen it coming in your life. And see, in a healthy small group is someone or some people who are going to see it and they're going to say something. Yeah, small groups need to prevent blind spots. Uh, in, in his letter to Christ followers in a city called Ephesus, the Apostle Paul, he, he does a great job of drawing this contrast. All right, He contrasts people who are growing in their faith, who are becoming more and more like Jesus with those who are, are stuck people who settle. And I, I know you're here today because you don't want to be stuck, right? I mean, there's lots of things you can be doing on a Sunday morning. You're here because you want to grow. You want to become more and more like Christ, right? You want to be a part of this kingdom community. Well, Paul contrasts those that are stuck with those that are actually growing. And he says those that don't grow up, he says, he says they're like infants. They're tossed you know, back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and, and by the cunning and craftiness of people. I don't think any of us would raise their hand if I said that they want that. No, we don't want that, do we? And then he pivots, and he says, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And check out what he says. He says, instead, speaking in the truth in love, speak the truth in love, we will grow. We will prevent blind spots. I think that's what he's saying there. Speak the truth in love. You'll grow. You'll prevent blind spots. You'll become, in every respect, the mature body. Okay, the mature body, that's the church, will become the mature church of Jesus, who is the head of the church, Christ. And then he says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Don't you see that there? We're here to support each other. You are a supporting ligament. We grow and build each other up in love as each part does its work. See, part of your work, see, part of your work in the church, we need you because part of your work is to speak the truth in love. You know, I think speaking the truth in love may be the hallmark of authentic Christian community. Think about that. Think about how much richer, more mature 
our lives would be if we honestly had a group of friends who would speak the truth in love. So hard to do, so hard to develop. It's so crucial, isn't it? But that's what Paul's saying. You want to mature in your relationship with Christ? You want to, we want to be that body together? Man, we've got we to speak the truth and love to each other. So let me just ask, if you're in a small group, do you speak the truth and love to each other? Small groups prevent blind spots. There's one more thing that small groups can prevent, and it's isolation. Isolation. I, I wonder if we have any idea how devastating loneliness and isolation are to us, truthfully, relationally, physically, emotionally. Don't you? I really wonder if we have any idea how devastating loneliness and isolation are to us, relationally, physically, emotionally. Uh, research has found that loneliness is linked to increased depression, decreased immune function, higher blood pressure. Did you know that? A review of 148 different studies found that people with strong social relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely. I know that's a lot of numbers, right? Basically, it's saying if you have good friends that support you, you're going to live longer. <laughs> you can actually live longer. A, a survey by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that doubling your group of friends has the same effect on your well-being as a 50% increase in income. How about that? Doubling your friends has the same effect on your well-being as a 50% increase in income. So I figure you can try to win the lottery, you can get another side hustle and make more money, or you can just double your circle of friends. Some of you are thinking, I might do all three. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, small groups are not only able to prevent blind spots, I think they can also prevent isolation. And isolation is so dangerous, it's not where God wants us to be. And again, Solomon, one of the wisest people to walk the planet, offers this wisdom when he says, the one may be overpowered. We might, get, we might be overpowered by ourselves. Two can defend themselves. And I just want to say, you know, this, I know this doesn't happen overnight. True community takes time. It takes work. And I'm not saying just because you're in a small group, all of a sudden you're going to have this. But the long-term payoff is so worth the investment. The long-term payoff is so worth the investment. Um, I met with a financial advisor a couple of weeks ago, and it made me think of something that author and pastor Andy Stanley once said. He says a small group is like a retirement account. He said a small group is like a retirement account. If you wait, it won't be there for you when you need it. But if you invest now, make it a priority. You can draw on it when you need it. And then he goes on to say, I've never met anyone in authentic community whose broken heart left them broken. I've never met anyone in authentic community whose broken heart left them broken. You see, when the tough times come, those who have invested in the group fare much, much better. Uh, community attender John Cole can attest to that. He faced one of the, a really tough, tough season um, recently, and he uh, shares his story. Watch this. My name's Jonathan Cole. I have two children, an eight-year-old boy named Ike and a five-year-old girl named Charlotte. There was a September evening. I, I was driving home from work in 2019. One of the first days I prayed out loud. In that moment, I started a journey with God, and I asked Him to take control of all the things in my life. I wasn't exactly in the position of understanding that I needed to turn over my burdens to him. But this was the first step. 
It was June of 2020 when my divorce started. And at that point, I had already reached out to the community and let them know how scared I was. It wasn't long before I received a text message asking how, how I was. I let them know I was safe and I was okay, but I needed help. And it was bigger picture help. I needed support because I really didn't think I had in my life the people around me that I wanted, and that was the church. I got in touch with John Hughes, and we met for many weeks. Uh, phone calls, FaceTime, face-to-face. -face. Um, John found a way to really give me time to really help help me stand up and find my my uh, my opportunity with the Lord to find the path that he had before me. My first experience with my small group was uh, coming off of a, a rough week dealing in the court system for my divorce. I, I showed up at the yellow box after the recommendation from John Hughes and we were meeting outside. Um, a group of guys that day, there was only four guys there to start and I came in like an airplane without, <laughs> without landing gear. Um, it's funny to me today. It's it's actually shows me uh, what type of growth I've had since then, and and really where I'm at today is much better off. This small groups, the relationship I've grown with these gentlemen is is amazing. It's all men, and looking at the generations that we have in there, we're all in different points of our lives with families and whatnot. But these men teach me every day. I've learned throughout the years that I can make it through difficult times on my own, but I don't make it through in a good way. Um, today, making it through one of the worst struggles I've ever had, leaning on people in my life that really I thought I was lucky to have there, today I now know all those people were put there by God to help me through those moments that were too much for me alone. When you join a small group, that's kind of your appointment. And I keep hearing it from my small group. Show up to your appointments, be there for others, be there for yourself, and open your eyes and ears. My growth really is attributed to the people around me, and that's my, my family, my friends, community, the, the small groups that I've joined. And really, I continue to look forward to how I can contribute and help others. I think John's a great example of that quote, I've never met anyone in an authentic community whose broken heart left them broken. I just want to leave you with a couple of challenges. I think the first one's going to be pretty obvious, okay? And it's this, if you're not in a small group, we'd love to help you connect into a group. We've got groups that meet just about every night of the week, groups for men, women, couples, mixed, uh, online, in person. Uh, we'd love to help you find a group. Um, you can... There's a sign-up table in the, in, the, in the lobby. Go to communitychristian.info. Talk to one of us. We'd love to help you do that. The second challenge, though, is for those that are in a small group because I know as I look across the room today, the majority of you are actually connected to a small group, which is awesome. I love that. I said this before, but here's the deal. Just because you're in a group doesn't mean you automatically have what we've been talking about today. So I don't want to pretend that this is like automatic, okay? I mean, just because you check the box, right, doesn't mean that you've 
surrounding yourself with a group of people who are actually speaking the truth and love to you. It takes time. It takes relational investment. It takes a commitment to being a part of that community in, intentionally on a consistent basis. And so I just want to say, if you're in a small group and it feels like maybe you've been kind of coasting or maybe in neutral a little bit, have a conversation this week and just ask each other, hey, what's it going to take for us to take it to the next level? Uh, what's it going to take for us to really be the kind of group that can speak the truth and love to each other? You know, people who make their small group a priority and understand the wisdom of Solomon, but they also see his wisdom perfectly embodied in Jesus' life and teachings. You might not know this, but Jesus actually spent the majority of his time with his small group, the 12, the disciples. He spent way more time with them than he spent with the crowds. And he knew the power of community. Um, and he came and lived and died so that we could experience it too. So I want to kind of wrap up with this. I just want you to, I want you to think about your story for a minute, your own life story. Jesse talked about how in Bless we encourage people to tell their story. But I want you to think about your life story and kind of go there with me for just a little bit, if you will. And I don't know each of you individually. Some of you I do, some of I don't. But, but go there for just a moment. I wonder, for example, what might have been different in your life growing up? If, you're, if your dad, okay, if your dad, for example, would have had a group of guys who were deeply investing in each other, challenging one another to be the kind of men, husbands, and fathers that God wants them to be, what, what might have been different? Uh, what might have been different in your life growing up if your parents had been uh, in a small group of couples that were encouraging them, you know, to, to get through the tough times in their marriage, to, to, you know, consider what it might be like to have a Christ-following relationship. What might have been different if you, you know, growing up, right, maybe through the tough times in high school or even college or even as a young adult, had a group of Christ-following friends who loved you, were there for you, and helped you get through whatever it is you might have been going through. Maybe it's what you're going through right now. You see, together today, moving forward, things can be different. Things can be different. Because of Jesus, see, we can now choose a community. Will you choose community? All right, let's pray. Father God, Lord God, we know you created us to live in community. We are created in your image. You are existing right now in community as God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, God, it's no wonder that we, we long for that. We yearn for it. We need it. We, we function best when we experience it. So, God, help us to, to, to break through the barriers of busyness and um, fear or whatever it might be that keeps us from that, Lord, so that we can more fully experience life in its fullness, the life you so want for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.